I was running for the door. Had to find the passage back to the place I was before. Relax at the night band. We are programmed to receive. You can check out any time you like. But you can never leave. Welcome to the Hotel California. Such a lovely place. Such a lovely face. They're living it up at the Hotel California. What a nice surprise! Bring your alibis. Well, you can always leave. There's always a choice, right, guys? Always a choice. And if it is your place and you shouldn't be the one leaving, well, then I guess we need to evict some other people out. Especially when they're not when they're not serving the purpose that. Uh, they're supposed to be serving, which is you. Now, today we have a pretty big news cycle um, because something's brewing. And I don't know if um, you realize that, you know, yesterday while I did my show, I kind of mentioned that, oh, look, Rudy was raided. You know, well, that was expected. That was very, very expected. Because there are many things that have to happen in order to catch a commie <laughs> or just catch corruption. Um, and this is most likely, like I said yesterday, why um, I hadn't dropped those articles. You know, God works in very mysterious ways. And um, I uh, thought that maybe I can show what Andrew Giuliani had to say yesterday about the raid. So it makes a little bit more sense. Take a listen. Oops, you can't listen because I do not have. There we go. Andrew, Andrew, can you hang on one second? Thank you. Let me let me just say what I'm going to say first here. We'll go from here. Mind you, I'm speaking as a son and a concerned American. Anybody, any American, whether you're red or blue, should be extremely disturbed by what happened here today, by the continued politicization of the Justice Department. This is disgusting. This is absolutely absurd. And it's the continued politicization of the Justice Department that we have seen. And it has to stop. If this can happen to the former president's lawyer, this can happen to any American. Enough is enough. The only piece of evidence that they did not take up there today was the only piece of incriminating evidence that is in there, and it does not belong to my father. It belongs to the current president's son. That's all I have to say. Any questions you can refer to his lawyer. All I will say is this, to all Americans out there, our Justice Department should be independent of politics. Enough is enough, ladies and gentlemen. We cannot stand for this anymore. And again, if this can happen to the president's lawyer, this can happen to any one of us. Thank you. I'll refer to my I'll refer to my father's lawyer for further questions and statements. 
You guys have a nice day. Can we hear from your dad? Love, love, love. So they took uh, everything, his electronics, which is kind of great, you know. <laughs> I mean, maybe they've discovered, like Gavin said, that remote he lost a while back. <laughs> That's interesting. It's very, very interesting that they didn't take Hunter Biden's laptop. Well, don't worry about it. Most of that stuff is on the devices you took anyway. So there you go. Um, you can't just exclude it. You've now made a document. That's the way it is. So it's um, quite fascinating that that is what they decided not to take. Not to take. It is actually very fascinating that that happened. Uh, the way they went in and Victoria Tusing, right? And, uh, you know, DeGeneva's, those lawyers also raided. Same time. Same time. So the question is, what is really going on? Well, I am not going to speak about what exactly angle they're looking for. But what I can tell you is that all you have to do is watch Shadowgate one again and look at the cambridge analytica stuff i just want you guys to look at that okay just peruse right through it because you're gonna see just how many people this has huh you're talking ukraine tori no 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 it links back in a way but this is how it was facilitated and what they want to know what his clients what what are they trying to get what are they going to try to say this is all I'm going to say on that for now, for now, okay? Because it's not time yet to talk about who, what, when, where, and what they're getting. But also, there'll be a lot of information in there about people you think are patriots and are not. There'll be a lot of, a lot of damning information that they just introduced into evidence, coincidentally, of course. Maybe we'll get that ray of sunshine pretty quick. Um, I wanted to show the report by Epic Times in regards to this uh, FBI search. Federal investigators are after Rudy Giuliani. They reportedly raided the former New York mayor's home and office earlier today. NTD's Miguel Moreno is on the ground there to bring us more. Miguel. That's right, Steph. Hey, Steph. So we're here in front of Rudy Giuliani's apartment, and we don't exactly know what he's being investigated for, but we do know that it's in part about his dealings with the Ukraine. So Robert Costello, Giuliani's lawyer, told Fox News that seven FBI agents came into his apartment this morning, Giuliani's apartment this morning at six, and they stayed there for two hours. So they reportedly took cell phones, laptops, and other electronic devices. The search warrant is an aggressive move from the Justice Department. Investigative journalist Lee Smith says this is payback from Giuliani's role in the Trump administration. This is clearly revenge for uh, what, uh, what the former mayor of New York City, um, his role as not only as Donald Trump's lawyer defending Donald Trump, but also his role in unearthing uh, Hunter Biden 
Hunter Biden's corruption in Ukraine. This is Smith says the FBI and DOJ have been politicized, and he thinks they're sending a message to not cross the politically powerful or uncover their corruption. It's a new low for the Justice Department, and it's even surprisingly low for this administration. It's despicable. Part of the probe into Giuliani is whether he violated the Foreign Agents Registration Act, or FARA. Under FARA, it's illegal to lobby in the U.S. at the request or direction of a foreign official without disclosing that to the Justice Department. But Smith says in most cases, if someone violates FARA rules, they go back and re-register and pay a fine. Using this to prosecute Giuliani is a political move. Using FARA like this to criminalize some behaviors and not others, that tells you right there that this is a politicized operation. Right. It's it's not a real uh, it's not a real investigation. As an example, he notes the crossfire hurricane in 2016 when the FBI spied on the Trump campaign to see if there was Russian collusion. Smith says most of those investigations went after potential FARA violations. The Russia collusion story has since been discredited. Andrew Giuliani, the former mayor's son, said our Justice Department should remain independent and says as an American, this is very concerning. This is absolutely absurd, and it's the continued politicization of the Justice Department that we have seen. And it has to stop. If this can happen to the former president's lawyer, this can happen to any American. Enough is enough. The only piece of evidence that they did not take up there today was the only piece of incriminating evidence that is in there. And it does not belong to my father. It belongs to the current president's son. That's all I have to say. So the U.S. Attorney's Office and the FBI office in New York have declined to comment. And we don't know how long or how far this could play out, but we do know it could be dragged out for a while. Steph, back to you. Thanks, Miguel. And in just a few short hours, President Biden will address a joint session. of. Well, we'll talk about Mr. Biden's joint session later. Now, what do we make of this? Well, you know, the... The one thing I can tell you is when I was served by Obama's attorneys, I asked them this question. Why are you serving me? What do you want from me? Are you trying to get information to help your criminal clients? Because if you want stuff, I can give you some stuff. But this is a civil suit. Let's introduce it into a criminal suit. But how do you introduce evidence into anything? How do you monitor people that you want to monitor, right? But you can't because there's no reason to. How do you put this in a package correctly? You know, rays of sunshine will light the way always because this is how you get things into the record. You either civilly suit, because that's what the attorney general in North Dakota tried with me, to get more information. And it clearly... I didn't have information he wanted me to manifest. He clearly wanted to know everything he could find out about me. But since we're speaking Farah, damn, I really wish I had the time to pump this out today. Oh, I'm imaging the next piece with all the actual evidence, a picture of Farah Fawcett, Farah Biden. Because we need to start... Shining some light. A lot of it. 
a lot of it. We need to start showing things. Remember when we talked about different places? There's one video that YouTube came after me. Do you guys remember a show I did on Nur Said Astana, right? It was very, very important when I did that, showing you how it's populated with a million people. But for some reason, there were no people while he was videotaping. And that guy that made the video asked YouTube to strike me because I used his video and showcased his channel. <laughs> Damn. Damn. It's going to be fun. I'm just going to tell you, this is exactly how you get some things into the public eye when they don't want to. Oh, they didn't want Hunter Biden's uh, information? On, oh, too bad. It's all in the other devices. <laughs> and even some more stuff that you probably didn't. I mean, what are you looking at? Images? What are you looking at? Discombobulated documents and emails? Well, what if he had a nice, tidy record of that shit? Titled, violation. Titled, collusion titled bribe titled money laundering titled this huh, you know because there's a lot but that's gonna come later 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 not super later but later so we had this happen and to the other attorneys victoria also was um you know raided right she was also raided, but no one's talking about that right no one's talking about that because then it doesn't fit into this whole Ukrainian uh, story that they want to push. <laughs> They're just pushing all the narratives they want, every single one of them. But, you know, speaking of weird happenstance, happen chance, you know, I'm surprised we don't have milk cartons out for Lou Dobbs. Lou Dobbs has been the center of all types of news for a very long time. He's very focused, very centered, very everything. And suddenly he disappears. Where's Lou? And I'm glad someone else thought, where's Lou? Kind of also indicates that there may be a little bit few extra ears, right? Paying attention <laughs> to what me and my friends are discussing because I was very happy to see that someone else had the same question. Where is Lou Dobbs? Why do we have no milk cartons for him? Take a listen. You asked, and we are delivering, okay? Right here at Stinchfield. We investigated. We're going to show you. We were, anyway, going to show you this yesterday, but had to put it off to tonight due to breaking news. But I promised that I would not give up until we located none other than Lou Dobbs for you. The outpouring of support one of the most famous TV men of all time was overwhelming. So we're following up on his strange disappearance from Fox News after he quietly resurfaced for a very brief moment during his appearance from the undisclosed Dick Cheney-like location for the Eric Metaxas show. His interview, though, did reveal some clues. Check this out. You know, there's an old saying in our business. It's, uh, you know, ownership's uh, candy store. Uh, and, uh, you know, they make the rules. So, you know, there it is. All right, there it is. Let me decode this for you, as I think it will help us in our search for Lou. The candy store he's talking about is clearly Fox here, right? It has to be. But notice, he says they make the rules when they own the candy store. But after they canceled Lou's show, 
What he's secretly saying here is that they no longer own the candy store and he's no longer the candy. All right. The shop owner will soon be making his own rules. Maybe Lou Dobbs is the new candy store owner. Listen, I've got a lot planned. We're getting ready to do some social media and I can't get into any of it um, uh, for lots of reasons because we wouldn't want to spoil the surprise for anyone. All right. So let's go through some of the facts that we do know about Lou. He's been gone now for almost three months from Fox News. He was one of the most popular hosts, if not the most popular host on Fox Business. Even CNN called his termination head-scratching, especially because he often doubled his lead-in ratings, all right? That, trust me from experience, is almost an unheard-of feat in TV today. Here's the fact that could explain it all. Lou Dobbs was and still is a staunch Trump supporter. He's a fighter of President Trump and defender of President Trump. That spelled trouble at Fox, right? So with all of that, I figured we would dispatch Stinchfield correspondent Mike Carter to Fox News headquarters to see if he could find out what happened to Lou Dobbs. But most of all, we did it because we knew it would annoy Fox too, and that's kind of fun as well. Here's Mike. We're here in the heart of Rockefeller Center, right in front of Fox News Channel, where for the last few months, something mysterious has happened. The disappearance of Fox business host Lou Dobbs, particularly confusing <laughs> since Dobbs was the highest he has a milk carton Fox sign. Business. Well, Fox execs aren't talking about this issue. So we hit the streets to talk to real people and ask them, what happened to Lou Dobbs? Has anyone seen Lou Dobbs? Last seen in this building on February 5th, Lou Dobbs, Fox business anchor. You know, I'm wondering if you guys can help me. We're looking for Lou Dobbs. He used to work in this building. Do you happen to see him? No, no. You know where he is? No idea. You guys work here? We do. Yeah. I mean, why did you get rid of him? Oh, that's above our pay grade. <laughs> do you miss uh, this guy on the air? Should he be back on the airway? Yeah, I like Lou Dobbs. I'd love to see him. If he was, you know what? He should do an independent thing. I want him back on the air. I want Lou Dobbs on the air, please. I'm a Trump supporter, so I miss him. Why do you think they let him go? He's speaking the truth. He's not doing what they want to do. He's not being their puppet. That's what's going on. Do you remember this man? He used to work at Fox News. I do remember Lou Dobbs. You miss seeing him on the air? I'm not really into Fox News, so. I'm not watching Fox anymore. Do you, do you like Fox News? No. Why do you think Fox got rid of him? I have no idea. Oh, so he bought coffee from you? Yeah, sometimes, yes. How did Lou Dobbs like his coffee? You like it dark. This gentleman used to work in this building. Have you seen him, Mr. Lou Dobbs? Where did he go? Do you like Fox News? No. Do you want him back on the air? Of course I do. He speaks the truth. He's been around for decades. And it's a, sh it's a shame what's going on here. It's a sick situation. Has Fox got more woke over the last few months since the election? Yeah, yeah. They're 100% concerned. And I see them making a lot of moves that I'm not excited about. Don't be like CNN, man. Get Lou Dobbs back. <laughs> well, joining us now is Mike Carter. Mike, amazing, man. Lou Dobbs, obviously as popular as ever, even after disappearing from Fox News. Good stuff, buddy. Well, thank you, Grant. I mean, there's really no two ways about it. People miss Lou Dobbs. And I don't think this missing persons case is going away anytime soon. Many conservatives feel the day Mr. Dobbs disappeared back in February, the NYPD, major media outlets, Really, everyone should have done a massive manhunt for him. He was, as you mentioned, after all, one of President Trump's biggest supporters. 
right. That is absolutely true. I have a feeling that was what this was all about. But do you think that maybe the reason he disappeared in the first place is because he just loved President Trump, defender, fighter for him? You know, it's funny that you mentioned that, Grant. Uh, sources out of Mar-a-Lago say that President Trump, everyone he sees nowadays, the question he's asking them, what happened to Lou Dobbs? Yeah, guess what? I was just down in Mar-a-Lago, and I think I heard, overheard the president at the table next to me saying, where the heck is Lou Dobbs? It's what everybody's asking. Mike Carter, good work, entertaining stuff, buddy, thank you. You got it. All right. So speaking of President Trump, right? This guy loves Newsmax. Thank God. Everybody's loving Newsmax, especially after Lou Dobbs gets canned from Fox. I mean, nobody's hanging out at Fox anymore. So how much does President Trump actually, how highly does he think of Newsmax? Well, he was on my old buddy, Dan Bongino's program the other day. And this is what President Trump said about Newsmax. And, you know, I wouldn't say Fox has been exactly perfect. Fox has been a big difference of Fox between now and what it was four years ago, as you know. But we have others that come along and they're doing well. And uh, uh, Newsmax has been really good. And, you know, others are coming along and people are seeing that they're watching these conservative networks. You know, I'm not going to brag about this but maybe I will a little bit. You know, I got to meet the president a couple weekends ago. And you know the first thing he said to me? Stinchfield, you had a monologue two weeks ago that it was great. He says it was great. I'll tell you, I'm humbled. The president there is watching Newsmax, watching our show, Stinchfield. And I'm really humbled that all of you are watching as well. So all the jokes aside, stick with us, okay? Please, we call it Stinchfield's Army on this show. Go spread the word. Recruit a new member. We need all of you. Really, thank you. Hi, Emma Reckenberg here. If you like this video, there's a... So they went out on the street trolling Fox, right, with a milk carton asking. And like President Trump said, you know, Newsmax, all of them, they're great. And a lot of others are coming on up. And that's the way it is. See, you know who a lot of others are? Wait till... What is it? We got two days. Two days. You guys are going to make the news. Not me. You will. You will be the news. You will see just how they will lose their mind. Because the media is obsolete. Completely obsolete. I should actually send an email to Maggie Haberman and ask her about something. I'm thinking about it. But I'm going to do that tomorrow because, you know, there's a lot of things that I want to say and I can't. So two days, guys. Two days. Two days, two days, and you will dominate the news cycle this weekend. It'll be so awesome because it's Easter. So wait a minute. May 1st is Holy Saturday, so at midnight is the resurrection. Boy, you guys are the news. Not me, you, we, the people. We're one. And that's what they don't like. Mayday. Mayday will be on Mayday. This is where they're on life support. And this is going to be so much fun to watch. So much fun. I am so proud of each and every one of my fellow citizens that it's 2021 and it feels like America has finally become a community again. It is 
a united America, which means it's an unstoppable one, that people are now, uh, you know, harnessing that power they have of one united voice together. I am so incredibly proud of you. And um, Mayday, Mayday on Mayday, Mayday. <laughs> it's going to be so much fun. It's like, I didn't even think about that until now, just how iconic it is that you guys, Mayday on Mayday. Can you believe this? Mayday on Mayday. And I had no hand in that. It was just God. It was that will of the, I mean, it's so Mayday on Mayday, 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 Mayday. What is Mayday? Oh, you're going to dominate the news, guys. You are. And you know where I'll be on Saturday? Reuniting with my puppy and my daughter and um, her fiance. And I can't wait. Even though for those few people that know, uh, you know, something was thrown on my plate yesterday that has caused me great duress. Um, it's going to be fine because, you know, I believe that it's going to be fine. And that's what I wanted to kind of address with everyone today. See, a lot of people, when they say, you know, let's pray and, you know, how powerful prayer is, too often people hear it in church, oh, let's pray. And it almost feels like a common practice or even like ritualistic. And it doesn't really evoke anything, right? Um, it's kind of like, uh, you know, to engage that power of this awesome, omnipotent God. It's it's kind of just rhetoric, right? Oh, pray. And how a righteous person's prayer is more powerful and more effective. It's, it's not. Our situations, when we approach God, you know, and when we're feeling, you know, in need, the way we approach him with our situations and have that conversation, we have to always know that he is our father and he wants his children to be happy and in his favor. So when we actually pray, we're tapping into that supranatural, right? Energy and agreeing that he and the plan that he has for us here in, in this construct, in this reality construct right here, this prayer is supposed to be, it's supposed to be like a conscious reality that awakes within, uh, that becomes so powerful that God's ears are tuned in and they're listening. And it's almost as if he's leaning down to even hear the faintest whisper in your inner heart. And he can hear it all because it's a, a conversation. So, you know, <laughs> I kind of had sort of this conversation, but not really. But I was like, you know, it's it's gonna it's gonna be whatever. I'm stressing for logistics, and it's like, why am I doing this again? I've been in this position before where I'm like, I'm stressing about the logistics of things. I just can't do this. I got so much stuff on my plate, and it's like, you know, this is me you know, being completely transparent. I'm the one saying, hey, pray, have faith. But I always struggle with mine where it's like, okay, um, 
you know what? I'm stressing about this. Just thinking of logistics and stress brings more stress. So what I have to do is trust, and I'm putting it out there, that it's going to be fine. And I will be rewarded with the answer, right? And, and it comes. I have to find that peace and say, well, right now it's okay, but then tomorrow might not be. But it's okay because, you know, there's wings with gust under them, and he is, I, I believe that. And collectively, we should believe that because, you know, it's astonishing just thinking about it, right? Astonishing that right now, this whole thing that you guys have created, this idea that that went and then came and then discussed and then put together, like, you know, I started my Telegram group in 2019, right? Way before anyone even knew what Telegram was. And... You guys have taken it and exploded it. And all these ideas have come together, all these people coming in. And you see the the things that the CNN guy had said, right? The CNN guy had said, hey, everything starts grass moving and then it goes really, really bad, right? Because then people get like, oh, this, that, nee, 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 I'm this, I'm that. No. Staying humble doesn't mean that you bow your head down, right? Staying humble doesn't mean that you shut up and sit in the corner and obey. Staying humble means that you're open and, and, and your, your hands are like, you know how people sit at the dinner table and they hold hands when they say a prayer, right? It's your hands and your palms are up. And it's like, come on, man, we're like in this together. Like if, 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 if we're not one, then we all fail, right? Let's, let's do this. And it's like a we situation, so unified. And this all happened, and then it's just it just clicked. Guys, did you realize that it's May Day? May Day. The first of May is considered May Day. And this is May Day, May Day, May Day making the media obsolete. Obsolete. And it's like, who would have thought that on May Day <laughs> it would have come to fruition? I'm just saying, like, what are the odds? What are the odds that on May Day it would be their May Day? What are the odds? See, that's the thing. What are the odds that you guys did that? I mean, you know, you guys all came together and said, oh, May 1st. And it's like, did anyone realize that's the day after the 100 days, right? And it's May Day. May Day, May Day, May Day, right? So when um, we're troubled, because I am, right? We have to auto-correct ourselves and think, stop. Why am I stressing about this? I am just going to go with it because obviously this idea came to mind. You know, like say say, say you decide that um, you have a, a, a truck and suddenly you want a motorcycle, right? And you're like, you know, I could afford a motorcycle, but then that car insurance is really, really expensive. That motorcycle insurance is more expensive. And I have to buy a helmet. And then the upkeep is more than my truck. But you're like, nah, man, I really want a motorcycle. I I feel like I should pamper myself with a motorcycle. So I'm going to get rid of the truck and I'm going to get this motorcycle. And you're just like, no. Your logic is saying, no, that's like an extra expenditure. Don't do it. Because, you know, you shouldn't. I'm just ideas here, right? But you know in your heart that's the, that's what you need. You need that motorcycle, right? You want that motorcycle. It's going to make your heart sing. You're going to feel comfortable. You're going to feel free and open in the air. And you're just like, I really don't care. I am going to get a motorcycle. And it's going to be more expensive. And if I lose my job, 
God will have me because he wanted me to have this motorcycle. Do you see what I'm trying to say? This is how you have to think. Just saying. Even though logic, as I've said, is the biggest advocate for self-preservation. Logic is the biggest advocate for self-preservation. You know, I, 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 I have no qualms in stating, you know, I'm really disappointed that my mother went and got the vaccine, considering she has problems with clotting. But you know what she said to me? Oh, I want to be free and do things. Dude, why did you submit? Okay, fair enough. She's stuck in a nation because she didn't come home to America. She stayed overseas where they're a socialist nation now, and she has no, no choice per se. I mean, she could have come to the U.S., right? But she did it anyway because she felt that she needed to to be free. <laughs> Submission. It's not being humble. It's making things easy. You know, when people say, it's like, just make it easy. Just put on the mask, right? <laughs> Why are you making things difficult? It's like, Rosa Parks made shit difficult. She said, fuck this. I'm not going to make it easy and go sit at the back of the bus. I'm sitting in the front. That's what was necessary. Uncomfortable conversations, making things difficult. That is how you make change. No change is done without getting difficult. And right now, they're trying to convince you that change is good. That change is what we need right? Change is going to be beautiful. Change is going to be amazing, right? No, it's not. The change that we make is because kind of like the New York Times reporter quoted, uh, what was it? Let me find that quote because that was hilarious. It was trying to make me sound threatening, of course, right? And, and, and a friend of mine um, said, you want a great reset? Here it is. We're going to do it our way. And that's by eliminating you eliminating by evicting every single person. They quoted me on that, right? And it was the weirdest hit piece, only for me, totally insulting, right? Why did they throw a red pill 78? Ew. And then you want to throw Enrique Tario because you got them thrown off? Because Enrique Tario is a problem. And he's a baby daddy to someone that, you know, his friends beat for fun. So, <laughs> that was so bad. Um, so, bottom line is, they only targeted me because they want to target you. They want to target you because you guys are causing a problem. You're putting your foot down and May Day is coming too. And they know that and they can't avoid the May Day being discussed because it'll be right in their face. I mean, they could probably avoid it, but I mean, how's that going to work? Because see, the elitists, right, always want to push their own narrative. That's the way it always is their narrative, their choice, whatever they have to say in order to get what they want. And no one else says it better than Tucker when it comes to it. But speaking of that, so Lou Dobbs is missing. Nobody knows. Was he kicked out? Did he walk out? But wouldn't it be amazing if people like Sarah Carter and Laura Ingram and Tucker all decided to say, you know what? Fuck you, Fox. We're gone. Peace out. We're going over here. I mean, let's just why be owned? Why be owned? <sighs> that self-preservation though, right? That self-preservation, that's the thing. Self-preservation. But we're here every day, 12 to 2, talking about the things that nobody wants to talk about. And that's what happens. So, May Day. May Day. They're about to sink real hard.
Now, this is from about 10 or so days ago. I want you guys to listen to what Tucker had to say. Welcome to Tucker Carlson tonight for five full years through his campaign for president into his term in the White House. Donald Trump said often that he wanted American troops to leave Afghanistan. Finally, in his last months in office, Trump seemed ready to act on this. He told aides he was going to pull the troops out. Then on June 26th of last year, the New York Times stopped him from doing that. The Times ran a story saying that the American intel community had, quote, concluded that a Russian military intelligence unit secretly offered bounties to Taliban-linked militants for killing coalition forces in Afghanistan. Vladimir Putin was murdering American soldiers. Obviously, there was no leaving Afghanistan now. Anyone who suggested leaving Afghanistan would be bowing to Vladimir Putin. As a matter of principle, American troops had to stay in Afghanistan, and they did stay. They're still there today. Official Washington went berserk over the New York Times story. Though the piece contained no actual facts, CNN's senior intelligence correspondent declared it richly reported. So I just wanted to share with you that article I did on that specific issue, if you remember. Let me, um, let me get that for you. And it was on the New York Times. Um, because you know who the source was of that news, right? It was like in the New York Times themselves. It was reported by the New York Times themselves. And it's like, um, hold on a second. Um, why is the New York Times pushing rumors of war? They're the rumor mill. So let me walk you through this because, you know, I did put an article about this, you know, but a lot of people don't watch articles. So my <laughs> swamp creature there, uh, I put a, a swamp creature superimposed <laughs> in the background. The New York Times, we invent the news. So here it is where the New York Times reported all these hoaxes. These are all New York Times. Right. We talked about it back then when that story came out, how BS it was and the outrage over Russian bounties. Take a listen to this ABC report on that. Hold on. Wait, is it not playing? There we go. Here we go. Take a listen to this. The White House also responding tonight to a bombshell report accusing Russia of offering bounties to the Taliban to kill American soldiers in Afghanistan, with President Trump denying he was ever briefed on the allegations. Here's ABC's Andrew Dimber. Tonight, backlash from a bombshell report accusing Russia of offering bounties on U.S. soldiers in Afghanistan. If it is true, underline the word if, that they are paying surrogates to kill Americans, this is uh, one of the most serious matters, I think, that uh, has arisen in the Trump administration. The New York Times first reporting that Russian intelligence officers offered to pay the Taliban to kill American troops. I mean... So where did these reports come from? Just the New York Times. They invented the story. The New York Times invented the story. There was no source. It was their story. The news cycle started from the New York Times. It was not coming from anything else. Now, there was no credibility, no reasoning, no, nothing. And like I said, you know who moved over there? It's like, I was thinking like, hey, 
Pompeo, what are you doing? Why did you send Molly Fee and minions, Democrat, insane minions, out to Afghanistan? It's like you're waiting <laughs> to shoot themselves. And by the way, where's Molly Fee now? We should talk about that, but next week. But this is a response now, later, after, after the New York Times reported it, on this whole bounty thing. It reports that Russia encouraged Taliban attacks against U.S. and coalition personnel in Afghanistan. The word report seems to leave some ambiguity. Does the White House believe Russia placed bounties on American troops? Well, I would say first that um, uh, we felt the reports were enough of a cause of concern that we wanted our uh, intelligence community to look into those reports as a part of this overall assessment. So what she's telling you here is someone made that report, the New York Times. So we tasked the intelligence community to take a look because the New York Times made that claim. Uh, they assessed with low to moderate confidence, as you alluded to, that Russian intelligence officers sought to encourage Taliban attacks against U.S. and coalition personnel. In so in other words, the New York Times cost us money and time of our intelligence officials to look at a fake manufactured story. I see. Afghanistan. The reason uh, that um, they have low to moderate confidence in this judgment is in part because it relies on detainee reporting and due to the challenging environment uh, and also due to the challenging operating environment in Afghanistan. So it's challenging to gather this intelligence and this data. I will say that we assess our intelligence community, I should say, assesses that um, a general st uh, staff main intelligence directorate, GRU, also known as manage interaction with individuals in Afghan criminal networks. Uh, we have high confidence in that assessment. And the involvement of this GRU's unit is consistent with Russia's uh, encouraging attacks against U.S. and coalition personnel in Afghanistan. So while there's low to moderate assessment of these reports, we felt it was important for our intelligence community to look into it. And we so in other words, Russia's grew and the Taliban are a threat. So because the New York Times made that report, we decided to spend time and money of our intelligence community to look at it. It's like saying ISIS is paying bounties to kill people in Syria. That report would be something you want to look into, right? Even if it's a fake report, because there is a probability because ISIS does want to take out U.S. soldiers and U.S. personnel. So what the New York Times did was cost us time and money on a manufactured story. So basically, they looked at it after she waffles on excusing why they spent all that time and money based on bullshit that the New York Times put out, saying that our confidence is low to moderate, but it's Russia's fault and they need to explain themselves on the thing we say isn't really happening. So it's not even a valid claim, but Russia needs to explain themselves anyway. This is just how stupid they sound. This is how insane the news are. This is why Mayday, Mayday for you guys. You know, I really want to publish those things about Maggie Haberman, but I want to be a good journalist and tomorrow I'll send her a nice email and ask her first. I'll be like, hey, so I have this email right here. And I just want to ask you some questions. Can you tell me like um, what your conversation was with Joe Biden? Because it says this here. Thanks. I'm going to be nice about it. Maybe they need to go grab their Obama therapy dolls.
Which, by the way, in the chat, when I when I had published that article, someone laughed and said, holy crap, I thought you were, you were, you know, just making an exaggeration that a New York Times reporter had an Obama therapy doll in her bag. And someone went and Googled that and found it. If you guys haven't, oh, you probably haven't seen it. Hold on. I'm pretty sure there's a <laughs> There's a video report on this. So you guys could hear someone else tell you that too. Because I don't know why people aren't slamming the New York Times saying, you know, a New York Times Obama therapy doll. Okay. So uh, let's see. Where is this chick? Mm, uh, NY Times Obama therapy doll. Where is she? Great. Thanks a lot, YouTube, for like covering it up. If someone has the link to that, because that's hilarious. There was a, a head, like senior editor that had an Obama therapy doll in her bag that she would hold on to when she felt that she was terrified or feeling like something was wrong. Speaking of funny shit when it comes to Russia, I saw this going around. Is this real? Take a listen to this. And for those of you on podcasts, I'll explain to you <laughs> what we're watching. Because this is this is seriously funny. Okay. You guys, you guys ready for this? Like, is this real? Is this real? The indictment that was presented on Friday from the special counsel Robert Mueller. You smile, let me finish. May I give this to you to look at, sir? <laughs> Why would he show? Okay, so that was from Carly. Okay, so was that real? Like, so in that video, you see Tarzan, Chris Tarzan Wallace, right, sitting across from Putin, and he talks to him about Mueller and tells him about the indictment and has the document in his hand. And goes to hand it over. to So he tells him this and Putin smirks, right? And then he tries to hand him over the the document and Putin just motions him, just put it on the table. I don't want to touch it, like move it along. And it's like, was that real? Like, I saw that and I found it hilarious. For those of you that want to laugh again, and Carly's laugh is super infectious, by the way. Um, let's watch this again. The indictment that was presented on Friday from the special counsel, Robert Mueller. You smile, let me finish. May I give this to you to look at, sir? Here. I'm just saying, that was really funny. That was really, really funny. So, um, you know, I, I'm just saying, that was hilarious. And I just didn't understand what that was all about. I mean, this is the this is the part where we laugh at the media because they're just insane. You know, if you guys saw the Zoom call with the with the climate change, oh man, I can't wait till May 4th. You know, um, this whole, you know, fear thing that they're pushing. I tell you what, everybody on there was on a Zoom call and um, Biden was wearing a mask on a damn Zoom call. It's like he could get... COVID from Zoom.
it was the someone actually uh, had Putin in the center talking and they had put captions that he wasn't really saying that saying, why is Biden wearing a mask? Does he think we're going to give him COVID through the Internet? That was so funny. I was dying. But that's just how ridiculous we look to the rest of the world. We look ridiculous, ridiculous. In fact, before we go for that coffee break, because I'm I'm out, I can hear my spoon tingling in my cup. No more coffee. I want to show you a clip from like forever and a day ago. And listen to this. It's just a one minute on how you can spot a commie. No joke. They actually created a video back in the days to teach people how to spot communists. In recognizing a communist, physical appearance counts for nothing. If he openly declares himself to be a communist, we take his word for it. If a person consistently reads and advocates the views expressed in a communist publication, he may be a communist. If a person supports organizations which reflect communist teachings or organizations labeled communist by the Department of Justice, she may be a communist. If a person defends the activities of communist nations while consistently attacking the domestic and foreign policy of the United States, she may be a communist. If a person does all these things over a period of time, he must be a communist. But there are other communists who don't show their real faces, who work more silently. By the early 19... Yes, those are the ones that fund the commies. That's a topic that we should be discussing a lot more. But we got a very busy schedule for the next, you know, week or so. We should get to that. But see, back in the day... Commies used to be a problem for America. Now they're being praised. And if you're not talking commie talk, you should be silenced. What? Did you just say that communism is not a good thing? You should be silenced. Silenced. Now, I want to say something and just take this as is. Yesterday, uh, no, uh, about, I think the beginning of the week, I was talking to you guys about cryptocurrency and I shared with you an article how the European International Bank CBDC denominated digital bond of Ethereum blockchain. The banks are coming into your crypto. And if you think that they're not going to control that shit, well, then you've got something else coming. So I will see you guys in just a bit where we will talk more about what's important to know today and what is to come and just how things are panning out. In the meantime, let's continue watching this exceptional movie um, while we fill up those coffee cups. It's exceptional to watch Mars. I can feel it coming in the air tonight Oh Lord And I've been waiting for this moment For all my life Oh Lord Can you feel it coming in the air 
Welcome back, everyone. I hope you guys uh, filled up that coffee. Now my coffee sounds better. I've got coffee in my cup. So um, uh, what you were watching, for those of you watching, is uh, live camera footage of Mars. One person said um, that Venus has life. Did you guys know that Russia was the first one to crash a bunch of uh, landing apparatuses to Venus? Did you guys know that? Yeah. First one, they actually crashed on purpose to see what it's like. Then, because it was such a hostile environment, they just assumed that the spaceship that landed there would die. But it actually, you know, like, end up toast because it's like supposedly 800 degrees Fahrenheit. But apparently it made it there for a while and sent back a lot of information and that there was life there. Uh, just a little bit different than what um, it would be hostile to the life that you know it in this reality construct. Just letting you know. So you had to be in another shape or form. And it's silicon-based life as opposed to carbon. And technically, silicon and carbon are very uh, similar in the way they bond to oxygen, hydrogen, phosphorus, and nitrogen. So we should talk about Venus at another time. Not important now, because that's your future. Right now, we're looking at today, Earth in your past, Mars. So just so you know, yeah, Russia did that ages ago. But what does that video say from that NASA guy? We used to have technology that could take us to the moon, but uh, uh, we destroyed that and we can't redo it. But since then, we're able to send instant messages across the planet, have live videos, and you can have ev a whole team of FBI and CIA and NSA and foreign actors watching you, listening to you at the same time, but you just can't go to the moon anymore because, you know, TI-84 process <laughs> calculators have now dominated that industry of the chipset used to go to the moon, if you believe that the chipset we used. So, um, 
In other news, while I was AFK and getting my coffee, um, someone had actually, and thank you very, very much, Jackson, for finding that video. You guys should listen to this report about this incredible New York Times <laughs> editor, executive editor, who carries an Obama doll in her purse to soothe her kid you not told you because when i put it in the article people thought oh that's like phantasmical you should check your resources and it's like uh, maybe you should google at least If you still don't believe the New York Times leans left and that they're just unbiased, then listen to this one. Their former executive editor, Jill Abramson, just wrote a piece for The Guardian, Hawking for Democrats, in which she reveals that she actually carries an Obama doll around in her purse. Yeah, no bias there. The whole piece is just Abramson speculating how Democrats could sweep the primaries, which is in itself a big pile of bias. And then right at the end, she loftily writes, it's easy to look at what's happening in Washington, D.C. in despair. That's why I carry a little plastic Obama doll in my purse. I pull him out every now and then to remind myself that the United States had a progressive African-American president until very recently. Some people find this strange, but you have to take comfort where you can find it in Donald Trump's America. <laughs> Now, I don't find that particularly strange, personally. I mean, Hillary Clinton claiming she carries hot sauce in her purse sounded a little stranger to me. But what Abramson's admission does sound is biased, left-leaning, in the bag for the Democrats, strongly opinionated, anything but neutral. And again, this is the woman who was the New York Times executive editor, carrying around an Obama doll in her purse. Maybe that's why the Times' current executive editor, Dean Baquet, recently called the paper's opinion page far left wing. In a private meeting with people from Stanford University's college newspaper, the Stanford Daily, Baquet defended the newspaper's recent hirings of conservative writers by saying, we already have a far left wing opinion page, meaning a conservative writer or two won't change how far left the paper really is. Now again, I don't think the New York Times is the worst rag out there. I mean, a lot of the writers are ridiculously pretentious and up their own butts, but they have enough money and support to do some really good journalism from time to time. And not everything they write is super lefty either, but a lot of it is. And it's very obvious to people like me who don't identify as left or right. And they would do themselves a solid if they just admitted that publicly, like Bouquet did privately. And Abramson just did unintentionally. Because then, at least they're being honest. But instead, like so many other news outlets, they just keep pretending that they're not biased. They're just right, damn it. And they've got a weird doll in their purse to prove it. How awesome is that? Now, speaking of the, the New York Times who are going broke and are being sued into Kingdom Come, I thought it was important that we find out how they answered the lawsuit now that discovery is allowed. This is a lot of fun. And this is where it gets really, really painful for a few people, especially when it is uncovered that they're being funded by the agency. Oh, shoot. NDAA, anyone? Federal, federal 
tax dollars. Wait a minute. Are they washing it through some other company to make it look like they gave them a loan? We got to think about that one for a second. Hold on, Tori. Wait, you did say follow the money. So think who gave the New York Times a loan? Okay. And then they have a NDA, NSL, and they've got a bunch of M memorandums of understanding between them and the CIA and the FBI. Okay. And so those are in place and they needed money and they got a loan, but they're getting federally funded with our tax dollars. How would that work? I don't know. We got to find that bank. Oh, it's like for some reason I'm thinking, whoa, Bank of America, you're in trouble. Just filed an answer to our defamation lawsuit, and it is a doozy. And now the New York Times has requested a jury trial as we barrel towards discovery. <laughs> You all know by now that Project Veritas has won on motion to dismiss against the New York Times for defamation. The New York Times printing an original article saying we are part of a coordinated disinformation campaign, that we were deceptive. The New York Times defense was that their statements there were, quote, unverifiable expressions of opinion. The judge in New York saying to the New York Times that they were the ones engaged in deception and disinformation, interjecting their opinion in an A section news article now the New York Times has to reply to all the allegations that we made in our complaint. The New York Times forced to answer our allegations in this answer filed in court just last week. The New York Times either had to admit the allegations, deny the allegations, or claim ignorance. Hmm. Want to take a guess which one of those was a favorite of the New York Times? Ding, ding, ding. What do we have for her, Johnny? All throughout this answer, the New York Times keeps saying the New York Times lacks knowledge or information to form a belief as to the truth of the allegation. Over and over again throughout this answer to our allegations, they, they feigned ignorance no fewer than... I want you guys to understand what they're saying. So James O'Keefe put out video showing a guy with stolen ballots, praising about it, all that stuff. And they called it that it was fixed. A lot of journalists have said that he's edited stuff. A lot of people have said that it's fake when it's not. So they said they didn't have knowledge to know if it was true or not. And they didn't know about it. They didn't know about it. I have no knowledge of such information, but they opined on it on a global rag right just just pay attention how many times they said we otherwise lack knowledge or information sufficient to form a belief as to the truth of the allegations in this paragraph the video the statements the this but the video's right there where's the insufficient knowledge or information and 40 times in their answer claiming they quote lack knowledge and information things as basic as what did liban muhammad say in his snapchat video we had said in our lawsuit mr muhammad displayed a vast number of ballots littering his car's dashboard while boasting in somali numbers don't lie numbers don't lie this is from our lawsuit. In another video, Mr. Muhammad filmed himself exiting an apartment complex with his hands stuffed with voters' ballots, boasting. Two in the morning, still hustling. These are not hard things for the Times to have figured out. We didn't even film Liban Muhammad. He filmed himself, and one of our sources captured it. Turns out the New York Times simply, quote, lacks knowledge and information, unquote. Who'd have thunk it? 
The Times' own policy effectively requires New York Times reporters and journalists to reach out to subjects for comment, and the New York Times admits that they didn't do that. Quote, New York Times admits that Ms. Astor, her editors, and the New York Times did not reach out to Mr. Muhammad for comment. The New York Times, all you do is pick up the phone and call him, and Muhammad would have said, that was me, that was my Snapchat, and I recorded myself. But you didn't do that. And maybe you didn't do it, because if you did do it, you'd have to publish that it was real. But what you put in your A section news article, you said that we were, quote, making claims without evidence. You didn't even pick up the damn phone and make a phone call. And you call yourself journalists. The New York Times also admits that it didn't reach out to Mr. Jamal, who was one of our sources. Also happens to be one of the New York Times' sources, by the way. They selectively edited that out of their article. They didn't reach out to Mr. Awood, who is a subject featured in our video. They didn't reach out to any of these people. The only people that the New York Times reached out to was those people who supported the narrative that they wanted to tell. And speaking of only reporting the narrative they wanted to tell, remember how the New York Times said that I was part of a, quote, coordinated disinformation campaign, at least in part because I embargoed the material with people who had a platform that could publicize these videos, people like Mike Lindell. I, I met with him. I share with him an advanced copy of our journalism. The Times now admits that Maggie Astor, wait for it, oh, she was given an embargoed copy of this election integrity report. The New York Times did the very thing they accused us of. If that's considered, quote, disinformation campaign or a coordinated disinformation campaign, then the New York Times would be engaging in a coordinated disinformation campaign by uh, uh, doing embargoed copies of things right before they're published. It's asinine, it's irrational, it's outrageous, it's uh, defamation is what it is. Or as the prominent Canadian vlogger has stated, it's just plain old projection, Dean Becay. Remember what we always say on this channel, hashtag confession through projection, because it looks like that is exactly what the New York Times did themselves. Now, you had seen that the New York Times defense in their motion to dismiss was the statements by Maggie Astor were, quote, unverifiable expressions of opinion, unquote. In this answer, the New York Times admits that Maggie Astor is, quote, not an opinion writer for the New York Times, and that Tiffany Hsu is a news reporter, and that, quote, her article was published in the media news section of the Times, unquote, and not in any opinion section. Britt Hume, legendary journalist, tweeted this out the other day, quote, one of the remarkable things about this case is that not only did the New York Times acknowledge the reporters injected their opinions in news story, they made that part of their defense. The staggering implications of the New York Times defense, that it was mere opinion what they were writing, when USA Today uses the New York Times as their fact-checking mechanism, Camille Caldera at USA Today Researchers claim video as part of a coordinated disinformation campaign based upon what people, quote, told the New York Times, and Facebook relies upon USA Today to send a notification to tens of millions of people saying that there was, quote, false information in the video. Do you understand how damaging this has been to Project Veritas and to the truth? What do you think a jury is going to do when presented with this evidence? Mr. Dean Baquet. And now it all comes out. It was all bullshit. You didn't even make a phone call.
to corroborate this information because if you had made the phone call, maybe you would have corroborated it. The Times is demanding the ability to print their opinion as fact and never tell you that they're doing it. And people say, what are we going to do about the problems in our society? How are we going to solve the issue? As long as that oligarchy exists, nothing can be done. Now, the next extraordinary series of events in this New York Times answer under oath is the admission that, in fact, what Liban Muhammad did, all those ballots in his lap in the car, well, indeed, the law there, it was illegal, what was happening. So the New York Times, in their original article, wrote that the law that Liban Muhammad was violating, well, the New York Times reported as fact in their original article, the New York Times reported there was a temporary suspension on the ban, that it wasn't illegal what Liban Muhammad was doing. However, in 104, the New York Times admits that the district court, quote, ruled a delay on the enforcement of the law. So the New York Times is effectively admitting that it is illegal to have more than three ballots. So the New York Times, just here in the, our lawsuit, has already printed an update. They've already done a correction. When the New York Times refused to correct the article, but they're correcting the article in our lawsuit, and they're still refusing to correct the article. They didn't call Liban Muhammad for comment, even though their ethics policy requires them to. They doubled down saying that all this stuff might be false, but it's just our opinion. They claim that we were coordinated disinformation, but apparently engaged in coordinated disinformation because they did the thing they accused us of doing, namely embargoing material and receiving advanced copy material with their, with their friends who are opining about us. They had a poll quote in that print article saying that we presented no evidence of any illegal voter fraud, but when under oath, they admit that it was in fact illegal to harvest more than three ballots. And I go back to the most egregious thing of them all, which is that facebook.com sent a notification to tens of millions of people perhaps. We don't know the exact number. All those tech companies rely upon the New York Times and what does the New York Times say? Well, could be false. It was just our opinion. Dean Baquet, I will depose you under oath. Do you understand that I had Somali American people, and heroes are in short supply these days, who are risking their lives to give us that recording of Liban that he recorded on his Snapchat? Do you understand what it is like to have tens of millions of people getting notifications, calling you fake? saying your videos are false and you defend yourself with this, with this garbage, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. You're lucky that there aren't thousands more people suing you for defamation for what you've done. And you better get prepared for a jury trial, my friend, because there is no amount of money that you could give me to make me settle this case. <laughs>
oh, I forgot the name of the shell company. They keep changing it. But speaking of fraud, right? Um, Facebook ad chief worried that it overstated its audience. Wait, what? Hold on. Are you saying that you're defrauding uh, the people that are paying for advertisers? Wait, Facebook, what happened? Are you going broke too? That sounds a little bit bizarre. No, I think so, right? It seems that there's a, a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of lying going around. Like, what's going on? They, they all have no money? I don't know. Let's see this report. A newly released court document show a top Facebook executive saying the company should prepare for the worst. It's over claims the tech giant inflated its advertising audience. And today's Patrick Hayden reports. Newly disclosed court documents show Facebook ad chief Carolyn Everson saying that the company needs to prepare for the worst. That's upon discovering Facebook's advertising reach figure is artificially inflated. A small business owner filed the class action lawsuit in California in 2018. It says Facebook is protecting its bottom line as it knew about the problem but didn't do anything. One media exec that services smaller businesses says it's good to have a David for the Goliath of Facebook. You have to have transparency. You have to have a sense of integrity when you, you know, when you're dealing with, you know, social media, especially with Facebook. So I think it is a big deal. And I think if if uh, this small business can be the catapult, uh, you know, letting them, there's a voice for us, then, um, you know, then that's a win for us. So basically. This is a, a, a subtle statement of fraud because when businesses pay for advertising, Facebook tells them how many people they're going to reach. And, you know, remember Cernovich talked about this, how he was spending money and, you know, he's in California as well, right? So he was spending a shit ton of money and his ads weren't getting anywhere, right? And it's that they were blowing up their numbers. This happened a couple years ago. He talked about it. Um, this is fraud. They're defrauding advertising clients. Facebook says the highlighted emails are cherry picking. It says potential reach is just an indicator and not something the customer is billed on. But the ad chief's emails show there was concern. She said we are going to get really criticized for that and justifiably so. The lawsuit says that Facebook's potential ad reach for various states was more than the actual population in those areas. Not only that, remember, they boost the things they want people to see. Like, I saw that Wish was um, pushing catheters. Did you guys? I, I don't need a catheter. I'm just saying, Facebook committed fraud. This is fraud. Okay, this is fraud. If you did it, you'd be in jail. Facebook committed fraud. And not only that, they took people's money and they didn't even thump them to get that potential audience, even in the non-exaggerated areas, right? Because uh, they didn't like their content, you see? So if they went against what their policies were, right? then that's the way it is. I don't advertise on Facebook. Uh, my Facebook page, I, I don't even know how many people are uh, like it or whatever. I mean, I really don't care. You know, they are making a, a lot of money off of putting ads on my videos when people watch it. I don't know if they're putting ads though. I, that's a, I have to take that back because I don't know. I can't watch it with ads because it's my page. But I'll take a look into that. Regardless, they've lied. This is fraud. They're defrauding people. Small businesses aren't getting a big cut. For some reason, wishes. And you know, 
Um, still waiting on that documentation, but what if Wish is actually linked to Facebook? That would mean that they're directly linked to China. I just That's just the thought. I hope someone's listening. Patrick Hayden, NTD News. And Google's parent company Alphabet seeing record profits again last quarter. NTD's Colin Fredrickson explains how. Record profits for Google parent Alphabet the global conglomerate hit another record for a second consecutive quarter, riding a surge of ad spending and internet use. People have turned to Google Search more than ever since the pandemic began. Searches for businesses went up 80% versus last year. In terms of retail, Google made product listings free, removed commission fees, and opened its shopping platform to Shopify and PayPal. We're also helping retailers lean into some key opportunities, such as innovating in omnichannel as the line between digital and physical retail continues to blur. Something else Google is working on, more features for Google Maps. We'll be adding over 100 AI-powered improvements this year, such as indoor live view, which helps you navigate airports, transit stations, and malls using augmented reality. On the downside, Google's share of America's search advertising market is slipping, falling from 61% a year earlier to 57% while Amazon's share grows from 13% to 19% over the same period. Currently, 92% of the world's internet users use Google Search. Why? They're not even searching anything. They're going to show you what they want you to see. So why is 92% of the world using Google Search? It makes absolutely no sense. It's like, wake up, people. Wake up. Wake up. 89% use Google Maps, and 73% use YouTube. Colin Fredrickson, NTD News. And the European Union's investment bank called... Wait, before we get into that cryptocurrency. So I've told you about that, didn't I? I did tell you that they're coming for it, didn't I? So for those of y'all haters, you know, getting upset because I'm telling you the truth, nobody likes the truth. I don't like the truth. I don't like the truth. I loathe the truth. You know which truth I hate the most? Looking at myself in the mirror. Or when my pant size is still a 16, 18, and I want it to get down to my old six. So that's the truth that I don't like. So everybody hates the truth. Hate me now, love me later. Pay attention. This is very, very important. Pay attention. Just pay attention to this. Well, the European Investment Bank is apparently about to do its first bond issuance on blockchain. 100 million euros, about $120 million, will be priced on the Ethereum blockchain. It won't be denominated in crypto, it'll be denominated in euro, but it's still a pretty big milestone. Usually a custodian bank like Bank of New York Mellon will keep a record of who's buying and selling bonds, but they don't work for free, of course. Issuing it on the blockchain, in theory, could eliminate those middlemen, but maybe not right away. Blockchain is like a decentralized public ledger that can be used to keep a record of transactions without that central authority like BNY Mellon. Kent Barton, the head of research and development at the crypto exchange Shapeshift, tells me that the two main advantages of this are efficiency, you can cut out back office tasks, and reduce risk. Nobody can change the records once they've been recorded. So, big milestone, I asked him where things might go next. This news about uh, European banks issuing bonds on Ethereum is um, is yet another milestone showing more um, more adoption is happening. Um, if you look ahead, I think one thing we'll see is th this is just the start of what will be a tsunami of, of assets being put on the blockchain for, for those 
those reasons I mentioned. It's just it's a more efficient process and it limits risk. Um, no longer are things happening in a sort of the you know the proverbial smoke-filled room. This is where uh, everything is out in the open, um, and uh, that's going to be powerful. So in in the future, the not too distant future, I think we'll see uh, you know everything from from all sorts of different types of bonds to equities to uh, real estate on the blockchain. Um, and then where it gets quite interesting is you know when you think about the end user, uh, the retail investor, or just Anybody around the planet, not not part of institutions. There's also a lot of interesting things happening at, at that level, and and that's where we kind of get into the the decentralized finance side of things. Um, so you and your viewers have probably heard of, of this. Uh, you know, it's called DeFi. But essentially, what this is is uh, financial architecture that that it that is built on blockchains that inherits all these wonderful properties: uh, censorship resistance, transparency, um, credible neutrality. Meaning, no, no, no single party, like a nation state or a group of corporations or group of individuals, can influence what's happening because this network is so distributed or decentralized. So, um, what we've seen over the past two years is the rise of of decentralized finance, where anybody across the planet, hypothetically, can um, can use this this technology to uh, to trade crypto assets um, to uh, to lend and borrow, uh, there's interesting things happening on the derivative side of things. So you know, they're they're completely kind of skipping the, the bankers in this sense and just doing it um, in, a, in a more direct direct way. Because again, this, this permissionless is or this technology is permissionless. Uh, for example, anybody can upload a smart contract that you know maybe facilitates some sort of lending arrangement or a bond arrangement on on Ethereum. No, nobody can stop that. And that's powerful. Uh, there's no more gatekeepers in that context. I've heard some people complain that the transaction costs on Ethereum can sometimes be quite expensive. How will that impact something like this bond issuance that we're looking at at the moment? Right. So th this has sort of been a, a, a challenge and, and a, predict a predictable one, but a, a challenge specifically with Ethereum is, um, you know, there's a limited amount of size. Uh, or, or space to include all these transactions in, in the blockchain. Um, you can get a transaction in there, but you might have to pay a lot. So um, for, for institutional players, um, higher, uh, and we, we call them gas prices, it's the, the cost of using uh, or transacting with the Ethereum network. Uh, institutions, you know, if, if you're dealing with a you know, $100 million bond, it's not such a big deal. Um, I, I don't see that as being a, a, a problem. However, it's very much an issue when you talk about uh, retail users and, and really anybody that wants to um, interact with it. You know, if you have $10,000 in your portfolio, you know, spending $500 on gas over a few months is, is not great. So um, what, what's happening here, though, is in what I think one of the most exciting developments uh, in this space is, is the scalability uh, of this. Uh, so platforms are being put into place right now and even starting to roll out into production that, that facilitate um, cheaper transactions, all while inheriting those same qualities that we've come to expect with, with blockchains and with Ethereum, uh, you know, the, the credible neutrality, censorship resistance. Very interesting. Kent Barton, Shapeshift, thank you. So um, I talked about finance in 2018 and uh, in 2019 a lot. And a lot of people have fallen into like the quantum financial system and all these things. But what you have to understand is everything that man creates, the overlords want to control.
And you should have seen that coming when they pushed out the CARES Act and wanted to give you a digital currency. This is how they hijack things. This is how they tell you they need regulation because of all these evil things. This is how they take things. And this is how they can destroy your wealth in just a snap. Simple deletion. How many people have lost their wallets, their digital wallets? You had it backed up at USB, but it doesn't exist on the server. So tough shit. So this is what you have to see. Crypto is great because you can make a crap ton of money, right? Tons. I have some digital currency, but not in digital currency itself, but the platforms that are exchanging it. Like I have like three, three, I'll tell you because i'm i'm not i'm not giving you financial advice i'm telling you how i see it um so let me pull it up so if you guys actually use coinbase you'll see that there's us dollar coin that's something new so what i have is uniswap because it's a platform that they're using that actually dropped today pretty hard i had purchased it at three i only have three of those okay three three not a lot three um at 28 dollars um so i have three of those um what else i i get the stuff that they're using for platforms like the ukrainian stellar lumen I got that because they're getting into deal to be the digital platform to exchange monies in cryptos, not the crypto itself. Okay. Um, I have some Bitcoin, but that's because people have given me Bitcoin. Thank God, you know, rather than give me cash, you know, cause they don't want people to know that they're tipping me. They tip me in Bitcoin, which is great. Right. But you know, I, I got rid of mine when it was, you know, really low when I was desperate for it. So whatever. I also have Chainlink. That's another uh, system that they're using in order to uh, move money around. So those are the things that I have. The Stellar Lumen, which I know is going to be a platform to um, exchange these currencies, right? And that will go up. And once it goes up, I'll get rid of it because then I, I will have the ability and money to purchase myself, um, you know, actual physical, tangible um, things, maybe like a house or, you know, gold and silver, right? So those are the things that I deal with, um, nothing else, nothing else. And, you know, when Bitcoin actually is going to go super high before it pops, that's when I'll switch it into these platforms. But then, you know, I'll have lost it anyway. So I, I'm just saying they're going to hijack anything good the people make. And that is how it always works. These overlords want control. So they're moving you from one fake currency to another uh, fake currency. So that's how they operate and they're now taking an official position this is why i said you know when you know pelosi had pushed that digital credits instead of you know unemployment cash right you should have seen the writing on the wall and that was a year ago and then you see you know the imf moving into xrp then you see you know all these uh, nations moving their national. This is the European investment bank. This is this is the European International Bank investment bank. Same thing. They dominate all of Europe. They're walking into it. That's why it is an issue. Ripple is being taken over by the IMF. Coinbase doesn't even trade XRP anymore. They said because it's under investigation, they can't. That's because they want to see where you're spending your money. They need to be able to monitor you. They can't monitor you if they don't know what you have and their future. What they want is your future is to be able, and I've said this years ago, you're going to be chipped. This is what they want in order to see that you're actually doing the work.
So if you're supposed to be digging a ditch, you're going to have a chip that's going to be reporting back live through, you know, your 6G networks to tell your boss that you're really digging and you didn't just put the chip in the dog because it'll identify the DNA. It'll be a, a true biochip. So this is how you get paid and you'll get paid for the work you do. Uh, this is their future. This is their future of control. That's important. So this is very, very important. So I'm not saying, I'm not giving you financial advice. I am just telling you, this is the writing on the wall. I mean, I said it and a lot of people gave me hate, but oh, Nisara, just stop. Stop. If it's not backed by anything, it's air. They can make it and delete it as they wish. Remember that. And something only has value if you give it value, right? If it doesn't have any value for you, it means diddly squat, right? It's kind of like those possessions that you have, you know, that you're just like, no, this means a lot to me. Even though it may not be worth anything, it may mean a lot to you. And that is one of the richest things that you have. So again, everything's fake, fake, fake. What is actual, tangible, and backed by something that is of value is what you have to think about. Even gold and silver, think about it. You're giving weight to that. I mean, what happened to old-fashioned barter? Just saying. But again, it's all about monitoring you, and they're taking that. Whatever beautiful invention humans create, they hijack it because they need to be in control of it. That's the way it goes. They need to be in control of it. So, um, you know, you have to think, do you want to be safe? and in chains or free with no chains, but you're responsible for your safety as a people. These are the things that people don't like to hear because it's suiting them right now. It's kind of like, it's suitable for me if someone says, oh, you know, this is nice, you know, well, view or this, right? This is nice, but it may be suitable right now for me to accept that Oh, yeah, it's making me feel really good when in long term, it's not. This is just food for thought. This is you're going to come to a halt with this by the end of this year. You're going to see it happen. And this is the problem is that we like to see things that suit us. Right. And we like to accept it. And no, it can't be that bad. This. But you've you've got to be realistic. Do you really think that they would let you? dominate that industry. You are not allowed to. They will take every single thing you have. And if you're giving them the power, a simple EMP will eliminate all your wealth. Think about it. Simple. You're on the system. They could delete you faster than you can blink. That's the thing. We have to be realistic when people make statements that you don't like. You've still got to be realistic. We got to look at the reality of it. So, um, you know, I have talked about this before, but okay. Uh, it, it'll come at a time again around Christmas. We'll be talking about this. So let's shift gears. Let's shift a little bit of these gears. So yesterday we had um, Mr. Biden uh, put out a speech. And... Um, there was a language expert that analyzed this for Newsmax. And I can't wait to watch this because I haven't, but I, it sounds super fun. 
So let's listen and watch um, together and see what they had to say about Mr. Biden. I didn't watch it because they were tracking people. Um, and I, they always track who watches and whatnot. And this is why people uh, actually saw glitches because this was all pre-recorded. And you know what hurts is that, you know, never mind. I'm just going to leave it at that. Let's take a watch. This is always kind of fun to do. Uh, the president's uh, body language from his facial expressions to hand movements oftentimes can reveal a lot about what a person's thinking, what they might be trying to hide. To analyze this further, we're going to bring in Gregory Hartley, behavior and body language expert and former U.S. Army interrogator. Uh, Gregory, sir, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, Rob, for having me. All right. You're point. an expert on this. You watched uh, the president's speech. Did you notice anything interesting we should know? Well, I, I would say this. You could tell his usual thing. He has two two go-tos. One of those is, come on, man. The other is, look, now look. One is demanding, one is asking, right? <laughs> and we saw a lot of the raising his hands on the holy warrior kind of a thing, the televangelist when he's doing the, come on, man, we're going to do this. And you could see that's when he gets a standing ovation. Yeah. That's him telling, telling, telling. Yeah. But more importantly, he would also low, lower his voice and put his hands down and not do nearly as much of that on very contentious issues, two of which were gun control and immigration. If you noticed, his voice went very low and he did the come on man kind of approach. Right. Very different from the holy warrior kind of televangelist that he was doing. It did show a lot of preparation. I could see it in that his tone raised at the right times. I could also say that by watching the people behind him, you could see a lot. They told more than he did. Really? Okay. Uh, anything we should know about what, what they told? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, so watching, you could see that when his blink rate increased, he got to where he, he fumbled Obama's name and he did a couple of other minor fumbles, for, which for, for Biden, for President Biden, is not yeah. a big fumble. As he was fumbling along, you could see their blink rates increase and they turned and looked at each <laughs> other even at one time. And his blink rate even increased. And I was watching the mirroring early on between the vice president and the president's blink rates increasing. I would guarantee that, well, I, I would say my opinion is, that he prepared, she was there, he, she knew where he was gonna have trouble yeah. with the speech. He, but he walked right over a lot of his trigger words that would usually cause him to stutter or stall. Sure. So he did a lot of preparation. Yeah, uh, I, I bet he did a lot of preparation. Probably been preparing oh, for yeah. about two yeah. weeks for this thing. Uh, I wanna play a, a bit of uh, the speech here. Here's a dicey moment from uh, the president during his speech and let's get your reaction on the other side. Take a look. The hunger, hurricanes, earthquakes, natural disasters. When I was president, my president, when I was vice president, president asked me to focus on providing help needed to address the root causes of migration. Hey, Greg, uh, any, any thoughts on that moment? Well, yeah, you, th that was a, the one chance I thought we we're going to get to see the normal kind of operating model that, that President Biden does where he stumbles over words. And you could even see both the vice president and the speaker look at each other kind of out of the corner of their eyes and you could see their the vice president's eyes narrowed that was an issue they knew that they had to be careful that he didn't stumble through words in this one because everything he's talking about is fairly contentious and or not fairly contentious anyway so yeah. watch their faces more than his yeah let's talk about the vice president uh, right there on the left the woman who could very likely be uh, the president of the united states at some point here uh one way or another a little hard to tell uh with her wearing a mask does that change it for you does it make it harder for you to do your job well, it does, of course. I mean, because yeah. the lower part of your face has a lot to do with how you're thinking and what's going on in your head. But you can also yeah. see her eyes constricting and opening more widely. You can see her blink rate increase. You can see her eyes dodge away from a topic. Watch here. 
that head lean back as she's uh -huh. relaxed after he gets through the mess. You can see that all of that is still playing. And of course, we know that most people in that business probably the, the muscles in their forehead are paralyzed anyway, but that's just the way it goes. <laughs> yeah. yeah, interesting. Gregory Hartley, behavior and body language expert, former U.S. Army interrogator. It makes me nervous just talking to you. What are you, what are you seeing in me? What am I doing wrong? Do I got a guilty conscience? Who knows? All right. <laughs> Greg, thank you so much for the time. Yeah, you do. Thank you for your time. Coming back out to the panel. It's just always so funny. We, we, we do this a lot when we have these big speeches. In the so it, it, usually most interrogations are taught at a school that I went through. And I have to say that a lot of people of my family have went through in Fort Huachuca, Arizona, where you learn how to be an interrogator and to read people's faces. This is why usually when I meet with people, I try to, because people who know that I've been through there, I try to avoid looking at them, one, because deception from your friends and your loved ones is natural. People don't want you to know, um, you know, every single thing they're feeling. And it's very, um, very in invasive because just, you know, you can read people, uh, slight things that they make with their face, with their eyes, overexpressions, microexpressions, um, uh, hindering your expressions. That's another one. That's how you can catch. You know how some people say, oh, when someone's lying, their nose flares. Some people have a muscle that they try to control when they want to lie. So they try to paralyze their upper lip and it causes that. There's little subtleties where you can tell how someone cocks their head, how, you know, they move, how they stand, um, how they pay attention. Uh, so um, the hardest people to read are those that are over-exaggerated because then you know that they're masking everything. Um, so, you know, like you said, do I look guilty? Yeah, you are. <laughs> and why is the question. But almost everybody that's on TV uh, feels like that. So let's take a listen to the rest of this report because it was it, that first half was quite fascinating. I'm intrigued to see what the second half says. And it's just entertaining to me to see how these, uh, you know, they just, they're so good at that. I mean, they just, they can look at anybody and you can just see, are they lying? Are they hiding something? It's, uh, it's interesting. We're going to go to Mark Halpern here for just a second. Um, Mark, as we push forward after this big speech, um, what, uh, what are the headlines tomorrow? I think three things to watch for, Rob. One yeah. is what are the ratings for this event? You know, uh, it, it's a weird moment in American history, but how many people tuned in? Does he do better than the Oscars? Second, I think, is he takes he takes us on the road tomorrow. He's going to see Jimmy Carter in Georgia and, and doing an event in Georgia. Yeah. How much coverage can he get to kind of keep his message going? That's what presidents typically do, barnstorm after a State of the Union or address to Congress. And then finally, does this move Republicans at all? The early indications are no, but he, he says he wants bipartisanship. There are a bunch of issues Congress is debating now, not just infrastructure, yeah. where bipartisanship is being discussed. Let's see if anything he says tonight moves the needle there. You know, and, yeah. and Rob, you know, I really believe that the headlines will be not so much about Biden, but that they're going to be about Tim Scott. Uh, and I have to tell you, as a confession, he's a bit of an establishment Republican. I didn't have high hopes going into his speech. I didn't think he started all that strongly. But then to your point earlier, he absolutely hit it out of the park. He hit a 400 foot home run. Uh, I think it's going to be incredibly historic, actually, not just, you know, near term politically important, but historic to have a black senator from the South, from South Carolina, from a state that formerly viewed black men as property for him to stand up and tell the country this is not a systemically racist place. Yes, we've had a really problematic past with race, but for him to say that the original sin does not define our country, it doesn't define any individual, yeah. it doesn't define any country, it was incredibly uplifting. It was a marked contrast 
versus the very dour and indicting speech that Joe Biden gave, where he told us that we are systemically racist. And he effectively said that Trump supporters are dangerous people, uh, that they were on the cusp of overthrowing our republic, which, of course, is ludicrous hyperbole. So it's a tale of two cities when you look at those two speeches back to back. And I'm very glad that we got to finish uh, with with in terms of the order, the sequence that we got to finish with Tim Scott, because it was uplifting, inspirational and also substantive, though, as well. For instance, getting down to actual policy, it was just sloganeering. He said critical race theory is a poison that is infecting schools in America. So he got very, very specific. Bravo to Senator Scott. A great moment for him and I think for our country. Yeah, I, I still maintain Democrats saw Trump gaining in the black vote. They hit the panic button. They want to paint everybody as a victim and say, stay right here. We're going to take care of you. You're in our party. And I, I don't like the politics of it at all. I, right. I think it's I think it's very insulting, to be quite frank. And I know a lot of black Republicans that feel exactly the same way. Hey, I'm Rob Finnerty. No. Thanks for watching. If you see that was a really softball statement, he should have called it what it was. And that was this is where it begins. This is his way of throwing down the gauntlet and saying, we're coming for you and we're going to shut you up. You are going to obey or else. That is how he showed himself yesterday. You need to understand that he just declared war on over half of the American population. He just said he's going to look into. We need to be very astute and careful with what we say, they should have done. They should have called that out. That that was him throwing down the gauntlet on American citizens and claiming them enemies of the state because they do not agree with his policies. This is him declaring war on the people. For me, that is atrocious. Now we all know the State of the Union was actually given by President Trump earlier this year when it was supposed to in February. So this was just a show. But it was a show saying, we're coming for you. What are you going to do about it? And all we have to do is hold the line because it's all about timing, right? And God knows best always. So, um, I, uh, there were, uh, President Trump actually addressed uh, Biden in regards to the border policy. And I uh, want to play the clip from uh, Tim Scott praising President Trump and responding to Biden's address. It's very important that we hear this. Very important that we hear this uh, because it shocks me that nobody in the media made the statement that they should have, which is, wow, it just sounded like the the supposed president of the United States just declared war on more than half of Americans. And any American that thinks that's, that's okay is a commie, period. It deserves better. And we know what better looks like. Just before COVID, we had the most inclusive economy in my lifetime, the lowest unemployment rates ever recorded for African-Americans, Hispanics, and Asians, and a 70-year low nearly for women. Wages for, hear me, wages were growing faster at the bottom than at the top. The bottom 25% saw their wages go up faster than the top 25%. That happened because Republicans focused on expanding opportunity for all Americans. In addition to that, we passed Opportunity Zones, criminal justice reform, and 
permanent funding for historically black colleges and universities for the first time ever. We fought the drug epidemic, rebuilt our military, and cut taxes for working families and single moms like the one that raised me. Our best future will not come from Washington schemes or socialist dreams. It will come from you, the American people, Black, Hispanic, white, and Asian, Republican and Democrat, brave police officers in Black neighborhoods. We are not adversaries. We are family. We are all in this together, and we get to live in the greatest country on earth, the country where my grandfather in his 94 years saw his family go from cotton to Congress in one lifetime. So I am more than hopeful. I am confident that our finest hour is yet to come. Original sin is never the end of the story, not in our souls and not for our nation. The real story is always redemption. I am standing here because my mom has prayed me through some really tough times. I believe our nation has succeeded the same way because generations of Americans in their own ways have asked for grace and God has supplied it. So I will close with a word from a worship song that really helped me through this past year of COVID. The music is new, but the words draw from scripture. May the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May his presence go before you and behind you and beside you. In your weeping and your rejoicing, he is for you. May his favor be upon our nation for a thousand generations and your family and your children and their children. Good night. And God bless the United States of America. So one thing I have to say, the timing of Tim Scott coming out is not coincidental. There's always the right time for everything. And I like the way he brought on redemption because redemption is key. Uh, redemption is key. We've been talking about redemption for a very long time. Um, we have to believe in redemption because your sins, it's through redemption that you redeem your soul, right? So it's quite important. But uh, President Trump actually this morning uh, chimed in with um, former politician Maria Bartiromo. And I wanted you guys to take a listen to that um, because he responded to um Biden's, Mr. Biden's uh, address in regards to the border. And it's it's really important that we have to understand that timing is everything. It's kind of like, you know, you've seen it in the movies where the troops are waiting and they're like, hold, hold, hold. And it feels like it's like we're like Holdor, right? Hodor, Hodor. For those of you that are Game of Thrones fans, it's like Hodor, hold the door. Um, it's like we're waiting forever, but timing is everything. Kind of like I said earlier today, you know, imagine that May Day is when it kicks off, that you guys make your voices heard and they want to squash you like a bug because they said so, because you must obey. And for those that are on the left, they should be terrified of this.
except for those that are so far gone that actually believe that everyone is racist and everything is racist, sexist or whatever. Um, and they just want to cancel the truth because they just want someone to pet their ears and tell them it's okay. Uh, but for the majority of Americans, that's not true. And this audit that's happening in Arizona, they're going to create, this is why they raided. I mean, it's timing is everything. And that's great because this is how you bring things into cases. Remember Mueller when, when he was doing his investigations and they were like, well, you know, we get, we raided this person and got all this crap. And then, you know, it led us down this rabbit hole. And then we had to investigate this because it was part of the evidence and we had to investigate this and had to be part of the evidence. And then they investigate even more and then another level. And then another, this is what's going to happen. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. So let's take a listen to what our president had to say today exclusive interview to discuss this and footing the bill for that additional 1.8 trillion dollar spending plan is the 45th president of the united states former president donald trump mr president thank you very much for calling in this morning good morning and i thought tim scott last night was fantastic i thought he did an incredible job i'm not at all surprised but i thought he did a great job yeah, a lot of people are talking about him uh, perhaps being in the uh, running for, for president at some point after that speech. Uh, we're going to get to that. But, Mr. President, let me get your thoughts on what you heard from President Biden last night. What struck you uh, from the joint session to Congress? Well, one thing is that he didn't discuss the border and the fact that tens of thousands of people are pouring into our country, many of them criminals, many of them people from jails, uh, many of them uh, doing acts you don't even want to know about, and they're pouring into our country by the thousands at a level that's never been seen before, and they're doing absolutely nothing. The wall is almost completed, would have been completed if I didn't get sued by Congress and the Democrats every single moment, and we uh, we beat those cases. We built most of the wall, almost 500 miles of wall, and all we have to do is close up certain areas that we had to keep open until we gained title, et cetera, et cetera. And they just don't want to finish it. I heard they will finish it, but by the time they do that, it's, it could go very quickly. And the contractors are having a field day because they're supposed to be finishing the wall. They'll get paid for finishing the wall. So they have to do that, and they have to do many other things in the world. You know, stay in Mexico is a great thing. They don't come into this country. They stay in Mexico. It's as simple as that. That was a big deal that when we got yeah. that legally, we had to get that. We had to win that, and we won it, and they gave it up. Now everybody's pouring into our country. It's out of control. It could destroy our country if it keeps going, and the longer it goes, the harder it is to stop. We had the best border that we've ever had in history, admitted by everybody, yeah. And all they had to do is leave it. The Border Patrol is fantastic. The guys and women in the Border Patrol, they've done a fantastic job. The uh, ICE agents that we have, I got, I've gotten to know so many. They're phenomenal people. All they had to do is leave it alone. It was so good. It was the best it ever was. And now it's a disaster. It's a, What a shame for our yeah. country. It will destroy our country, Maria. Yeah, it will destroy our country. It totally will, because we need to make sure that we can, uh, you know, keep our border safe. I'll tell you what, I have two friends, right? One person that 
um, is very close to me that are here that have overstayed their visas uh, because they were escaping uh, torment in their country. And, um, uh, you know, I, I spoke to this person today and, you know, I was like, so how's it going? Like, you know, is everything okay? You know, they have children, they, they're terrified for their lives. And, um, you know, I, you know, this person's like, yeah, you know, I'm so blessed. This, I'm, I'm, I, I found this person and I'm staying with them and I'm blessed with that. And, you know, I was like, you know, you guys, I have like, I have so much compassion for people and I totally get, you know, people do things, extraordinary things when their life is being threatened. Right. But we have to understand that what's going on in the border, maybe less than 1% are really coming because they're scared. The rest is all just, you know, kind of riding that wave. And, um, you know, there's a lot of people that do that. They fly in here on a, you know, vacation visa and they don't leave. And then they file paperwork because they're like, this is my opportunity. I mean, you would take that opportunity. And so, you know, it's, it's you know, for anyone saying, oh, you just hate all migrants. No, I, I see that all the time. It doesn't mean that there aren't real, yeah, am I harboring illegals? No, but I'm not going to um, not uh, feel their pain because, you know, like I said, if 100 people are coming to that border, less than one are really fleeing for their lives. Um, and that's what hurts. And it is our duty as people to help them because let me tell you something. This person, this friend of mine, when they came here um, and overstayed their visa because they had a credible threat um, to their life, they were being taken advantage of. People paying them $2 an hour to work, um, renting a place with the little money they had, and you know the landlord can just walk into their apartment when they feel like it. And when you're a woman and you run away, right? You know they can do whatever they want. Who are you going to go to? Who are you going to go to to complain? This is what happens. This is why it's a problem, right? They're here illegally. They broke the law. But it's kind of the same thing. Will you frown? Okay, it's wrong. If you're a mom, because I've seen this happen in front of me in New York at a deli, where a mom had, you know, gone into the deli. She had like a dollar with her. Um, you could tell that she was lactating because she had, you know, on her chest, her shirt had like milk stains and, um, she stole a container of formula and she obviously looked disheveled and stole the formula. It's wrong that you steal the formula, right? Um, on the other hand, I'm pretty sure that if she would have said, Hey, um, you know, hey, could you buy this for me? Because it's like $40 and I can't afford it. I saw it happen in front of me. She stole it and the guy went to call the cops. And I was like, no, 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 she's with me. I'm paying for it, right? I'm paying for it. And I didn't even have the money for it. I was like, put um, half of this on this car, $10 on this one. It was pretty, I didn't have it, right? But, you know, the baby has to eat. Sometimes we commit crimes to preserve our lives or save others, right? We do because the law says it's absolute. But in the court of law, when you go there, justice is blind and understands that sometimes we do things, right? That the law says no, but you feel like there's no other way to do it. This is again saying this. 100 people coming through that border, less than one of those people, right, are 
legitimately scared for their lives. So I know this, you know, so when people say you're just some racing and no, but we need proper reform where someone like my friends that I know, right. That I care for that if they're in that situation, they can be processed and offered that refuge. Right. Or if they saved up enough money to fly in with a vacation visa that they can arrive at the border, go through the border, and then the same day have to go to immigration and say, I, I came in here with a visa. You have three months on this visa to check my background that it's legit and I'm terrified for my life. Please help me. Dude, what nation will say no? No one will. It is so expensive to even get a visa to come over here. You have no idea. It is very expensive. So border reform, the way President Trump was doing it, right, is important. The way he said, yeah, we want people to be able to come here, but they have to do it legally because anybody can just come in here now. You don't know if they're going to strap a bomb to their chest and walk into anywhere, a school, a train station, a train, a bus, a plane. You don't know, right? This way, if my friend was flying over here from their country, right, and passed through and said and went straight to immigration, we tell them within 72 hours, you have to present yourself to immigration and say, I came here with the intent to break the law because I need help. No one would hold them accountable for that. Because in desperation, we're all human, right? And we will break the law if we have to. You will steal that formula for your baby, right? You will steal the orange off the cart if you're hungry to eat, right? Because sometimes people are like, shut up, stop begging. You know, people are that sensitive, uh, that desensitized, sorry, desensitized. So in our country, we are a country that loves we are a country that wants people to succeed. We want people to be independent. So the only way we can do this is by showing true compassion. And visas take forever. So why not create a system for these people, not the ones at the border? Because that's just an excuse. Because, you know, I get tired of people saying the rhetoric, stop. I know people in that situation. No one is saying there's no legitimacy, but you can't use less than one out of a hundred people, right? As the bigger problem is the rest of those, you know, 99.5 people that are criminals that are bringing in people to traffic them to do whatever guns and drugs. There are people they're scared for their lives. There are people there that just need help because like that person that i was telling you about when they came here if there was an opportunity do you not think they would run to immigration and say hey i finally got away from my country i got here and i have the intention of staying here please help me this is my problem here are my papers check my story out my visa expires in three months i'm ready and willing to present myself every week here please help me out no one would say no to that Instead, they live under the radar with the hope that someone will help them, right? When they broke the law in the first place without saying, look, I've done this. It's kind of like someone coming to your cart and stealing a hot dog from your hot dog stand and running away. Were you going to prosecute them? Maybe they were hungry. But what if they steal it and then they come back and say, look, I'm really sorry. I was hungry. Here's that dollar I owe you. How many people have been in that situation? I'm pretty sure there's tons. So when, when it comes to the border, we have to understand that we're not nasty and mean.
It's just that it's less than one person out of a hundred come through with actual credible need to break the law to come here. Does that make sense? They've broken the law, right? The law is the law, but no one breaks the law says, wakes up in the morning and says, you know what? I feel like breaking the law. I feel like breaking all the laws. I feel like going to steal that orange or stealing baby formula or walking through a border because I just woke up and said, let me break the law. Nobody does that. It's all out of done out of necessity. But the thing is, the question then comes in is what kind of necessity? Everyone has different levels of necessity. Someone, you know, living in a castle could be like, well, I had a necessity to have, you know, a full roasted lamb. So I must steal from this person to be able to afford a whole lamb and roast it. And it's like, that's not a necessity, right? Necessity is I'm terrified for my life. Necessity is my baby needs to eat. Necessity is I'm hungry. Necessity is I need shelter. I'm cold, right? Necessity is I'm sick. We've got to define what necessity is again because they've changed the definition of what necessity is. Because there's no person alive, I believe, that can say that the basic necessities are not something that we should be offering to people and embracing them. This is why it's so this is why I've stressed out these definitions. They keep changing them, right? They keep changing them. And this is why they're creating this big charade and posting people like my friend, for example. Look at her story. It's tragic. Well, she broke the law. She did. And then there's someone else who's like, yeah, you know, I just didn't want to pick corn in Honduras. Or, you know, I just, uh, you know, I just wanted to come here because I said so. It's like nobody chased you out of there. It's like Ilhan Omar. Why did she flee Kenya and come here as a refugee? She was fine there. She was working there. She was living there. Why did she get on a list to become a refugee and get paid to come over here? Ask yourself that question. Was her life really in jeopardy? No. Her dad, her, her family, Al-Shabaab, well, we'll get to that another time. We've already talked about it anyway. But no, she lived in Kenya, actually, not Somalia, just so you know. Um, so she's from Somalia, but she was living in Kenya. True story. So people need to do, be doing, you know, when they're making statements, they should be checking that, you know, information. So Omar was living for about 10 years in Kenya outside of an, a refugee base and her whole family, supposed family, right, was then allocated and they distributed them amongst different countries and they paid Lutheran social services to bring them over. Hence why I like the Lutheran social services conglomerate because they even had like a big picture of Ilhan Omar in Minnesota, which is against the law too, as if she was like the president or something. But anyway, I digress. So again, when people turn around to you and say this, you should tell them out of a hundred people that are coming through that border, half a person actually has a necessity to break the law because we can all identify with someone that breaks the law out of necessity, right? Necessity. I need to feed my baby. I need to have shelter. So that's um, that's the the sum of it. So I just wanted to make that clear. And, you know, for all of you on YouTube, I'll have to disconnect because I'm going to be playing Tom McDonald's. You can't cancel <laughs> music as a smooth jazz for today and play his video. So um, on that note, everyone, God bless. I will see you tomorrow, same time, same place. For those of you on Twitch, we'll start our raid shortly. Hopefully we can find our Russian pianist, right? Because he's pretty awesome. Uh, God bless again. See you tomorrow.
I can't be cancelled, there's no way that you can stop me I'm fully independent, there's no label who can drop me Y'all been starting rumors, let me help you with some Yeah. He's a racist, he's a sexist, he's in love with Donald Trump Y'all can't cancel me, my life is scandal free There ain't no sponsors taking losses cause the brand is me My hands are clean, my family and my fans agree Y'all can't cancel me for facts because you're mad and weak Go ahead and tell the world I'm ugly and racist I braid my hair and I don't care about cultural appropriation I moved to the ghetto, lived in the ghetto, there's no Caucasians And still I loved every single one of my neighbors How's a man say I'm clickbait? If he gonna use this face to get clicks on his page Y'all hypocrites are made But I ain't tripping about these bullies, it ain't sixth grade Go ahead and diss me trying to sell a couple mixtapes